G'day friends, welcome back. The Mandalorian <laughs> is the maiden show for Disney Plus, which launched uh, at the end of last year and given the saga films we've been subjected to in the Disney era of Star Wars, this is exactly what hardcore fans had been waiting for. An in-depth story around a before unseen character with callbacks to other TV shows that we've had and with just a touch of that sweet, sweet special source, The Force. The Mandalorian, it stars Pedro Pascal, Gina Carano, Carl Weathers, Nick Nolte and Taika Waititi. Uh, it's had a number of directors including Dave Filoni, Bryce Dallas Howard and Taika Waititi. Uh, John Favreau is the mastermind behind the show with the king of Star Wars, Dave Filoni, right there next to him. It is some of the highest quality Star Wars we've ever gotten. Season 2 is coming out on the 30th of, 30th of October, uh, so it's time to dissect Season 1. Let's get the fuck into it. <laughs> yes! is the Mandalorian about? Spoilers, by the way. So what is the Mandalorian about? And why is it the saving grace of the Disney era of Star Wars? The show is about a bounty hunter, a Mandalorian, uh, played by way of COVID-safe method acting by Pedro Pascal. Um, this Mandalorian is operating five years after the fall of the Empire that we saw in Return of the Jedi. And he is sent on a job to collect the target. All he knows about this target is that it's 50 years old. Turns out that the target is the same species as our favorite little dyslexic frog Yoda. And that 50 years old for their species means you're still a baby. Baby Yoda, as he has come to be known, even though his actual name thus far is still just the child. Um, he's by far the best thing Star Wars has ever put to screen. I don't know if it was Filoni or Favreau or someone else, whoever came up with this idea is nothing short of brilliant. Let's take our show, which everyone thinks will be about this bounty hunter getting into all sorts of trouble and badassing his way out of it, and add an infant version of Yoda's species that is not only force sensitive, but actually very powerful. So powerful that he has abilities that we've never even seen before. Not only that, but he is literally the cutest thing that has ever existed in fiction or reality. And if anything happens to him, I will literally die. Anyway, back to the plot. So the Mandalorian delivers the child, collects his bounty, and heads on his way. 
but he knows the child is special, so he has a change of heart. He steals the child back, and they go on the run. And that is the show so far, and it is excellent. It's a bit of a slow burn, but it's a return to retro Star Wars storytelling, and I love it to pieces. Let's talk about the actual Mandalorian himself. So, Mandalore is just about the most interesting planet in Star Wars, which is why it was a very good idea to make the first live-action Star Wars show around a character about which there is already an enormous amount of lore that people can dig into if they want, right? So, technically, Mandalore is not a planet or a species, it's a people, right? The Mandalorians haven't always inhabited the same planet, but the planet that we know as Mandalore has been their home for many thousands of years. It's covered a lot in the Clone Wars series and in Rebels, if you're interested. Um, It's a very proud world. They have ancient traditions. Their warriors follow a strict code and are loyal to each other beyond measure. Um, Their armor is very recognizable. It's it's best known as the armor of choice for Jango Fett and his son, Boba. Um, Though... Django was born on Concord Dawn, which is a planet in the Mandalore system. He was never recognized by the Mandalorians as one of them. Um, he was an outcast, but... Yeah, so basically Mandalore has been a place to some of the most important events in Star Wars history. The, the Mandalorians at one point engaged in a massive war with the Jedi... This is, this is quite a long time ago. Um, it's home to some of the most important events in, during the Clone Wars. The, the monarch during that time, Duchess, Duchess Satine, uh, she shares a romantic relationship with our very own Obi-Wan Kenobi. Bet a lot of you didn't know that. He was a little naughty, flirty boy with the little Duchess. Oh. Um, Darth Maul. He's on Mandalore at one point. If you didn't know that he was still alive, big spoiler right there. Um, he stages a coup on Mandalore towards the end of the Clone Wars in an effort to actually lure Obi-Wan Kenobi into a trap. Uh, there's a splinter group uh, on Mandalore called Death Watch, who are the first ones that we see in possession of the Darksaber, a weapon which pops up at the end of the Mandalorian and is very interesting. I will get to it you know, towards the end. Um... Mandalore is also uh, a really important uh, wild card, I guess you'd say, in galactic affairs during the Clone Wars, you know, because they don't take either side when there is like a big, you know, meeting of the Senate. Their vote is often very important because it could go either way. Um, that They often refuse to take either side during the war because of Satine's pacifist nature. Her pacificity was not uh, very popular or well accepted by the Mandalorian people. Very, very interesting time. It's a, it's a super, super interesting place and a people. Um, there, there is no other part of Star Wars lore that is so rife with history that people, you know, like casual Star Wars fans know so little about. Still, perfect thing to base a show around for sure. Um, okay, let's talk about the actual show. I'll sort of run through episode by episode 
and recap and review at the same time. I'll sort of say what happens and I'll say what I think at the same time. I think that's how we'll do it. Um, so episode one sees us introduced to the Mandalorian, this utter badass who um, has an equally badass accompanying score. I, th- I think what makes him such a great character is that he isn't perfect. Like, he isn't so awesome that he destroys all his foes and never seems to be in any real danger. He's just a man. He's a very capable man, but sometimes he will run from danger or he'll get hurt. He's a very, very believable protagonist, I think. Um, He's introduced by walking into this bar and starting a fight. When the door shunks open in the bar and we see him just standing in the doorway, his theme plays and my God, the scoring for this show done by Academy Award winner Ludwig Göransson is outstanding. I love the the subtle recorder music that is like the bass for the Mandalorian's theme. It is so perfect for his character. It's quiet, but at the same time, it's so sure of itself. It also somehow seems to be like the perfect blend of the Western genre and the samurai sort of lone warrior genre which is what the show is it's a blend of those two things it's it's so good the music in this show anyway so mando is working for the bounty hunters guild out of navarro which is a planet that we haven't been to i don't believe so until this show um when he gets given the mysterious job of collecting the uh, uh, the bounty on a 50 year old usually you know, we're led to believe that usually when you get given what's called a tracking fob, where you get given a job, right, to go and capture someone and bring them back to the bounty, you have a little bit more information than just their age. Maybe their name, their species, you know, a little bit more stuff. But all we know about this person he's going to collect is that they are 50 years of age. He arrives on the planet where this 50-year-old is that he's looking for, and with the help of a bounty hunting droid, IG-11, voiced hilariously by Taika Waititi, he's able to get to the target. He has to, you know, kill a bunch of dudes, gets to the target, and he learns that it's a baby. A baby of Yoda's species. I will never forget seeing this for the first time. Up until this point, all the show was was a bounty hunter show. Like, it seemed very cool, but up until this point, that's all it was. Now we have a member of Yoda's species. We know nothing about his species, not its name or what planet they're from. But what we do know is that the only other two members of this species that we have seen have been Force users. Yoda, of course, and Master Yaddle, who is seen briefly in The Phantom Menace. Uh, she was on the Jedi Council for over, for over a century. Uh, she died before the Clone Wars. And she was also uh, much, much younger than Yoda. She was like half his age um, when we when we know him. Um, anyway, when I saw the child, I, I immediately thought of the Force. I was like, Yoda to me means Force, and that thing looks like Yoda, right? Um, I was just like, yes, this is it. This this show is going to be something really special. I knew at that moment. So many thoughts went through my head, but I was just like, yes, I think they're onto something here. Okay, episode two. 
Episode two is the Mandalorian trying to get off the planet with the child. Um, IG-11's mission was to terminate the child, so Mando just you know, blew his brains out or his wires out, whatever. Um, Mando takes the child back to his ship and finds it stripped for parts by Jawas. And he pretty much spends the entire episode trying to fix his ship. That's it. Um, he gets help from a local Ugnot named Quill, who is voiced by Nick Nolte of all people. Who saw that coming? Um, together they negotiate a trade with the Jawas. Mando will retrieve an egg for the Jawas that they want, and they'll give him his parts back. Right? Easy. The egg they want is that of a mudhorn, a giant hairy rhino that lives in a mud cave next to a mud hole and has muddy, matted up dreadlocks. And in this scene where Mando is trying to get this egg, we get our first taste of the force in the show. And it is so amazing. This is the sole reason why this episode exists. So we can have the big reveal that the child is a force user. Um, Mando is getting minced by this mudhorn. He's like trying to use all his tricks and his brains to, you know, distract this thing or kill this thing so he can get the egg. It is fucking him up good. He's not having a good time. Um, like it, it is literally about to kill him. It is charging and then it just kind of stops. And then we get a shot of the child with its hand up facing the mud horn and the mud horn starts to float up into the air and I got goosebumps immediately. I freaked the fuck out at this point and the way that Goranson builds the music here and builds it to only just give us two notes of John Williams' um, force theme it's so so nicely constructed he, he blends them in with other music so beautifully it, it's this perfect nostalgic tease right it just a bit more on the music for the show actually i, I think it's often underestimated how important music can be to a movie or a show but it is extra important in this case. We can't see the Mandalorian's face at all. So how do we know what his expressions are? How do we know what he's feeling? The music. That is how. Anyway, anyway forget how great the music is for a second. It, so Baby Yoda stopping the Mudhorn allows Mando to kill it. They get the egg which the Jawas end up eating like a kid of surprise. They, they, they get the parts for his ship, they fix it up, and off they go. Now, uh, episode three is Mando actually delivering the child to the client that wanted him, um, really to what are the remnants of the Empire. That's who he's delivering the child to. There, there are little... Bits of the Empire left, still floating around, and they want this kid. Mando has realised at this point, obviously, that the kid is special. So he changes his mind, he goes back, wrecks shop, and he takes the kid. 
And that's really about it for episode three. It's not one of my favorites. There's, you know, there's a bit of Mandalorian stuff in there, like a bit more lore and stuff. It's, it's, its strongest attribute is that it shows a little bit more of why the Empire wants the child. There is this uh, scientist called Dr. Pershing who bears the same logo as the cloning facility on Kamino from way back in Attack of the Clones. So what we're led to believe is that what remains of the Empire, soon to become the First Order, wants this Force-sensitive being for some kind of cloning operation. Right? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's about it for this episode. Yeah, we have the bit more Mandalorian stuff with um, Mando's new armor being made out of the Beskar steel. But yeah, that's about it. And then we have the three kind of filler episodes. Three episodes where a whole lot of nothing really happens. They, these three episodes cop a lot. Two of them I actually like a fair bit. The third, I really think is a bit of a dud episode. Um, so episode four. Episode four is actually really great. I think Mando's looking for a planet to sort of lay low on uh, for a while while he and the child are on the run. He, he lands on this beautiful, lush, green planet with these small villages that are farming these stunning blue prawns. This is probably the best looking episode in this in the series so far. It is really, really beautifully shot. It's directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, and she definitely brings a touch of her Jurassic Park experience to this episode, I thought. Mando... So he lands on the planet, and he meets one of the best character in the sh- characters in the show, Cara Dune, uh, on this planet. She's a former shock trooper for the Alliance, and she's cool as fuck. I love her. She's so cool. Um, and the two of them are asked to save this small community who are being raided by this group who are using an old Imperial Walker. The Walker is very, very T-Rex-like, in my opinion. That's the Jurassic Park connection that I saw there. Um, we first see it at night, and it is shown amongst trees only by its glowing red eyes, and we hear it only by its slow, heavy footsteps. Real T-Rex vibes, I got. Anyway, I thought that episode was really, really great, really underrated. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of like a nice little fun, light-hearted episode, like... The child is playing with all these kids and there's this nice lady who's got a crush on the Mando and it's just, it, it, it's a lot of fun and it just leaves you feeling good and we get introduced to Cara Dune, which is great. So I do like that episode quite a lot, episode four. Then we get episode five, which is just a bit of a little treat for fans, episode five. So Mando travels to another planet looking for work. He travels to Tatooine. Yay! Um, he walks right into Moss Eisley and right into the cantina from A New Hope where, you know, Han Solo did or didn't shoot first, all that, you know, that famous bar. Um, it's a lovely, warm feeling of nostalgia when he walks in there. Um, the cantina is now run by droids after them previously having been banned, at least the last time we were there. And 
Mando learns that since Jabba the Hutt was killed, uh, there has been no bounty hunting activity on Tatooine, at least not guild-operated. Um, but he does get a job helping this other pleb bounty hunter, and that's pretty much the episode. Um, there's this mysterious shot of a caped figure at the very, very end of the episode. And since it was confirmed in canon that he survived the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi, many believe that this caped figure is Boba Fett, and I am one of those people. I would love to see him and Mando go toe-to-toe over, you know, what being a Mandalorian actually is. Given Boba is the clone of a man who wasn't even considered by his own people to be a Mandalorian, there could be a very interesting moral battle to be had between the two of them. Imagine imagine if they, like, teamed up. Say they have this argument, but then they become friends. Imagine they team up to fight the First Order or, you know, whoever. That would be extremely cool. Big fan of that idea that I just had. Ooh, I'm so good. It's so parched. Oh dear. Okay. Episode six. This is the dud episode. Unfortunately, it's it's the one with Bill Burr, and he's about the only good thing in it. Unfortunately, um, Mando hooks up with an old crew. Um, an old crew of his to make some money by freeing a friend of theirs from prison. This episode is not very interesting at all. It, it's one of two episodes directed by Rick Famuyiwa. I think that's how you say it. Rick Fami, Famuyiwa. I think that's how you say it. Sorry if I'm saying it wrong. I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Um, the other episode he directed was episode two, which is one of my favorites. So I don't know how... He went from that great episode to this, but he did. Um, there are two good moments that I'll mention from this episode. One is where Mando kills six New Republic security droids all by himself. It is so badass. Security droids are like killbots, and he wrecks them, and it is so great. So much fun to watch. Um, the other is where the child is about to try and defend himself against a bounty hunter droid using the force before Mando blasts the droid to pieces. After the droid falls down dead, the child just like looks at his hand with this panicked look like, did I just do that? It's a really, really funny moment. Big fan of that moment. Um, but unfortunately that's about all the coolness that this episode has to offer. It's not great really like and the fact that it was the third episode in the in a row that took us to a new place with new people and didn't really feel like it was advancing the story you just like oh can we like can we have some more interesting things please it just was becoming a little bit tiresome but then the last two episodes are where the magic happens let me tell you. Um, so episode seven sees Mando going back to Navarro at the at the well, at the request of his former employer, Grief Karga. Um, that's the guy who would allocate him the bounty guild jobs. Karga has this plan to resolve the issue with the child. So obviously, when Mando took off with the child, there were lots of people who were very very upset 
and they've been, you know, they've had other bounty hunters chasing him. That's why he's been on the run. So Kaga has this plan to fix it all, pretty much. Um, so so Mando returns to Navarro tentatively. I should say that Griff Kaga is played by Carl Weathers, and he is fucking amazing. He brings this seasoned, gentlemanly demeanor to the character, and he has this great way of talking, and his lines are so great as well. It, it makes you think of, like, an original trilogy Empire officer or something like that. Like, he really reminds me a bit of how Moff Tarkin spoke. It's it's He's a really, really cool character. He feels like old-school Star Wars, right? Um, this whole show feels like old-school Star Wars, honestly. I think that's why it's so special, like... From the, from the practical creatures to, to the characters that just feel old school and you throw the mystery of the force in there and this show really has captured the magic of the original trilogy. Anyway, before he returns to Navarro, Mando you know puts together a posse of his friends that we've met already. He, he collects the services of Quill and IG-11, which Quill has repaired and reprogrammed to be a nurse-droid, um, and Cara Doom. And the group of them head back to Navarro. On the way there, we get this huge moment with the child. Cara and Mando are having an arm wrestle, just for fun. Uh, and, and the baby doesn't know that it's a game, uh, and he doesn't want her to hurt his friend. So the child starts... Force choking Kara. She, like, you know, does the classic... <laughs> and they realise it's Baby Yoda. Oh, fuck. It's the ch- I shouldn't call him that. <laughs> it's the child who's choking her, right? And this raised huge questions in my mind about the side of the Force on which the child would fall should it be left unguided. Right? I can't imagine they would, but imagine if we're shown little baby Yoda to have more dark side force abilities, like force lightning, for example. Not that force choking is a dark side ability per se. It's been used by Jedi like Luke and Anakin Skywalker. But it is certainly a favoured method of the Sith, for sure. Um... You get what I'm saying? It's, it's really, it was a really interesting moment for me. It really got me thinking a lot. Like they would, I think they wouldn't put it in there for no reason. I really think we're going to come back to that idea for sure. Um, and later on in this episode, we see yet another ability held by the baby, force healing. Something we have never seen in Star Wars before. This episode came out three days before The Rise of Skywalker premiered, where we saw Force healing yet again. And in my brain, this added to my dark side theory, because think about what Palpatine says about the Sith. There are some who know ways how to cheat death. Right? Like healing a grave wound, for instance. Think about it. We see Rey... And Kylo both use force healing in The Rise of Skywalker. Alright? So the two of them and the child are the 
only beings so far who have, who we have seen use force healing. Out of Ray and Kylo, one of them is related to Palpatine and uses force lightning, and the other spent many years himself as a Sith. I'm just saying it's a deep rabbit hole, but I've explored it thoroughly in my mind, and it is intriguing to say the least. Dark side. Also, oh, excuse me, that's my tummy. Dark side, Baby Yoda. Yeah, I called him Baby Yoda, but imagine that. That is a very intriguing thought, to me at least. Um, this episode ends with some real shit going down. So, uh, a, a boss dog by the name of Moff Gideon shows up with his little clan of death troopers. Right? Um, he's played by Giancarlo Esposito, which is great casting. If you want to cast a villain, he is the man to cast, right? He's a big boss man and he is there to take the child, right? He is the big dog who hired the client, who hired the bounty guild, who hired Mando to get the child, right? Um, poor Quill is protecting the child back at the ship, but he gets killed by troopers. And if there was any character that didn't deserve to die, it was poor little Quill. His death makes me so sad every time. He was such a good little character. So now the Empire has the child and it's about to be in Gideon's hands. What's going to happen next? The most badass shit ever. That's what. So the last episode of the season was directed by Taika Waititi and it is by far the best. By far. We start with this hilarious exchange between the two bike troopers who have the child before IG Wreck Your Day 11 shows up and brutally beats them both down. Oh, it's so cool. Um, turns out that when you set a nurse droid that was previously an assassin to protect a baby, it will murder your whole family to protect that baby, son. <laughs> Boy. Ooh. Um, uh, we see that Gideon is just about omniscient at the start of this episode. He knows Cara Dune and her full life story. He knows Grief Karga's whole deal. And he bloody well knows Mando's full fucking name as well. And his whole backstory. His name is Din Djarin, so as you know. Uh, and while, while the Moff has our friends pinned down... IG-11 rides into town and just lays everybody out like a fucking champ before he then helps everyone escape down a lava river. Um, we, 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 get, we get a brief scene in this period with a, with a previously seen Mandalorian armorer who, who, who sees the child and actually says that she knows about the child's species. She, she knows them as force wielders. We hear the word Jedi for the first time in the show. Um, and we're made to wonder, is it going to turn out that all of Yoda's species is force sensitive? I don't know, but that is a damn exciting prospect. Like maybe they're like, 
the first, maybe they were the first ones to harness the force. I don't know. Um, but anyway, IG-11 ultimately sacrifices himself by using his self-destruct to kill all of these troopers so that his friends can escape. Another very, very sad death. Um, then Mando uses his brand new jetpack to take on Gideon in his coolest fuck TIE fighter. Gideon loses and he crashes, sucker, and our heroes are able to escape. Um, the Mandalorian armorer tasked Mando with returning the child to its people. So that is where the story will pick up in season two. How is that for a first season? yippee ki So good. Um, I can tell you right now that season two is going to be fucking bananas. For one main reason. We're going to be getting actual Jedi. Right? The very end of season one showed Moff Gideon escaping his crash fighter by cutting out of it with the fucking Darksaber. If you don't know what that is, it is a black flat-bladed lightsaber made by the first Mandalorian to be Force-sensitive and join the Jedi Order. Um, it is a symbol of power for the people of Mandalore. It has been in the hands of Darth Maul, Sabine Wren, and the last time we saw it, it was in possession of Bo-Katan. That saber is how characters like Sabine Wren, Bo-Katan, maybe Ezra Bridger, Ahsoka Tano, maybe even Luke Skywalker or Snoke. That is how they're going to be brought into the show. There is an enormous amount of potential for this show moving forward just by including that object. We know that Bo, Sabine and Ahsoka are in this next season. When I see Ahsoka in live action, I think I'm going to cry. She is my second favorite Star Wars character. And if you're a Star Wars fan who has not mined the goods of Clone Wars and Rebels, I've said it before and I'll say it again, get on that shit. It is some of the best Star Wars that we have and will ever get. Okay? What is great about The Mandalorian bringing in these characters is that it's, it will make people want to go back and see more of those characters in the animated shows. I'm so fucking excited for next Friday. I both love and hate that we get one episode a week because every episode is going to be so good and then i got to wait a whole week until I can see what happens next. But the beauty of it is, the beauty of it is that it's I'm not watching it on TV, it's on Disney+, Plus, so I can watch each episode 15 times before the next one comes out. And there's no, there won't be any footy anymore. Footy's over. I can just, oh, get all, get into a nice bath of Star Wars. It's going to be so good. Seriously, this show cannot be missed by anyone, let alone a Star Wars fan. In in the first season alone, we get a Taika Waititi voiced IG unit cracking jokes. We get an eight feet tall R2 unit with arms and legs. Um... And we, and we get some of the best world-building I could have hoped for. If I could say three things about this show, they would be this. This is what Star Wars should be. The future of Star Wars 
is in TV form. And Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau should have creative input to everything in the world of Star Wars for the next 20 years. That is all I will say about this show. Could not recommend it more highly, especially if you were into Star Wars. Um, I'm probably going to put up a... No, not, I'm definitely going to put up a poll probably on Sunday or Monday asking you guys if I should review each new episode of The Mandalorian as it comes out or wait and review the season as a whole. I'm not sure which I would prefer to do. They both have their pros and cons. Like, I could review each individual episode as they come out and get really into detail about what's happened. Talk about each little moment. I can rewatch the episode a bunch of times and look at all, like, find all the little details. If there's, like, a big reveal that, you know, some people might not understand, and I do... Not saying that I definitely would, but, you know, maybe that happens. I could explain it in really great detail. But that would also mean lots of different episodes on The Mandalorian. Or I could wait until the entire season is out and review it as a whole, like I've just done for this one. I don't know. I'll leave it up to you guys on Instagram to decide. Um, okay. About all done for that one. That was... So much fun. I haven't done a Star Wars episode in such a long time, and it makes me feel just so good. Um, yeah, thanks heaps for listening to that one, guys. Hope we're all staying safe out there. To all the people in Melbourne who are protesting today and attacking the police and attacking the police horses and just being just honest pricks, go fuck yourselves. You are not welcome in this community, right? Yeah, we've been in lockdown for a long time, but you can get over it, right? This is not what we need in the world right now. We need to just suck it up. We're nearly out of lockdown. Things are getting better. We just got to work together, right? That, that attitude is not at all what we need. That goes for anyone, right? We got to, you know, support each other, stay positive, that is how we'll get through this. Not complaining about not being able to have a grand final party or anything like that, right? That is just my little rant about that at the end of a very fun Star Wars episode. Super, super excited for next Friday. I think I will be doing a lot more Star Wars content when the footy season is not on. I think that will be what replaces a bulk of my episodes. If you don't want that, let me know, but I think that's what I'm going to be doing because I just haven't done a lot of Star Wars this year and I am so ready to really dive in and just put out heaps of Star Wars content. Super keen. All right. Thanks again for listening, guys. I'll catch you next time. Bye.